if you don't see failure as a bad thing, but it really is a learning opportunity, then it's, it's a good thing to allow your child to experience that because you're going to be there for them, because you're going to help them learn the lessons and teach them what it looks like to learn from their failures instead of be defined by them. Mm-hmm. Hey, Rachel. Hey, Ben. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. So we uh, have, we've had a couple of days without the older kids we still have the baby with us yeah well so we've had days without five of the kids right and one feels really easy yeah having (laughs) having a baby to take care of as opposed to all six of those boys it it almost almost feels like there aren't any children in the house yeah yeah if only he could feed make and and feed himself his own bottle. No. And change his own diaper. I enjoy feeding him. No, I I do too. But it's been really it's been a nice change. Every once in a while, you know, we need the break. Yeah. And yeah, definitely. they are having a great time with their grandparents. Oh yeah, they are. One of them sent me a video last night that was just filled with giggles. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great time. Yeah, it's it's fun to get to watch them enjoying themselves and then not to have to take care of them. For a little, that's right. That's kind of what it what it must be like to be a grandparent sometimes. Mm-hmm. Although we get to get them back and detox. Yeah, we're gonna. Still, it still makes the time worth it. We're gonna do an episode about detoxing from. Are we <laughs> vacations or grandparents? Yeah, yeah, one of these days. Yeah, I'll make it. I'll, I'll make it episode fifteen. Oh, okay. So it's been nice. We've gotten a lot of work done, but we've also been able to just kind of hang out together and finish a sentence without being interrupted. That's right. I had forgotten what that was like. Mm -hmm. So today we're on number 11. Can you believe that? Yeah, it's crazy. Episode 11. Today we are talking about teaching independence and allowing your kid to make mistakes. And I had to split this into two different things. As I as I went through the outline and started writing down the points, I realized that we could probably split this into two shows. Yeah. It's a lot. But I think that they're connected enough that it's good that we're tackling both of them today. Are you ready? I am. So we're going to start with independence. And I have a couple of kind of funny stories I don't know. This one's, it's not as funny. It's kind of funny, but it's also a little bit heartbreaking. The other day I was downstairs and I was telling our oldest that he was going to come out and help me do the leaf blower. Yeah. Because we were working on the yard and. And we're trying to teach them how to do different pieces of that so that you have less work, less work. Well, and, and it's not just so that I have less work Yeah, and we'll we'll get, we'll get to that, but. But we, you know, we, I, I would love for them to know how to mow the lawn and weed eat and do the leaf blower and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and so our oldest is not quite old enough to handle the lawnmower and the, the weed eater, but he can 
do the leaf blower. So I thought I'm going to have him come out and help me. And, and so I was mentioning this to him and our second oldest Asa, uh, overheard me and he looked at me and he kind of poked out his bottom lip. He looked really sad and he asked me something to the effect of, when we learn how to do all of these things, do we have to leave? No, he asked if we would leave. Oh, if we would leave. Yeah. He said, if if we learn how to do this stuff, will you leave? Yeah. Oh, it's so sad. Yeah, it was it, it was heartbreaking. Because so he, he was authentically concerned that once he learns how to do everything that we do, that there would be no need for us anymore, which is what we're trying to go for, but it's not going to happen for another 12 years for him, you know? Well, and I was, I was trying to explain to him too, that even, even when he gets to the point where he, you know, can do all of the same things that we know how to do, that doesn't mean that the relationship is over. That doesn't even mean necessarily that he's already, that it's time for him to move out of the house. Yeah. You know, we're just, and it's hard, it's hard for a six-year-old to understand. So I was, felt like I was maybe over explaining it for him a little bit. Yeah. But Here's another area where I struggle with the whole independence thing a lot, and that's with the laundry. And mm. as you can imagine, with six, or I'm sorry, eight people yeah. living under the same roof. We do about nine loads every week. There's a lot of laundry, and there's a day that we have set aside for laundry. And Rachel's job is to sort and wash all of it mm-hmm. and then put it in respective piles for each person. To put away. To put away. That's a lot. That's a lot mm-hmm. of work. Mm-hmm. My job is to make sure that it goes from those individual piles into the drawers and, and onto the hangers where they need to go. And what I'm supposed to be doing is helping the boys do that. Mm-hmm. But it's it's so time consuming and frustrating. And I have to fight with a couple of them over it so much that sometimes it's easier just to do it myself. Yeah. So one thing that's really helped me is changing my mindset about chores and tasks and those responsibilities that we give our children. Mm -hmm. I have this tendency to think about it in terms of, oh, I'm, I'm putting a burden on them. You know, I'm burdening them with a chore. I'm burdening them with this responsibility. And a better way to think about it is that over time, you're equipping your child with the skills that they're going to need to be able to take care of themselves when they leave the home. Mm-hmm. And so really, you're doing your child a favor. And I find that thinking about it that way, remembering it that way, causes me to give out the chores and give out the responsibilities differently in a way that that comes across, at least from my side, that oh, this is a gift that I'm giving to you, teaching you, taking the time to actually teach you to do this is something that, that I'm doing out of, out of love. It's not something that I'm doing because I want to make things harder for you. Yeah. I'm doing it because I want to make things easier for you. And when you come at it from that mindset, your child is more likely to pick up on that. So they, and they'll cue off of us when they see us feeling uncomfortable or, or, or seeing that as, as placing burdens on them, they're more likely to receive it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, if, but if we can help them see through demonstrating that we're doing it out of love, they'll receive it out of love. Yeah. And I think an example of that is probably 
um, whenever we we started doing chores with each of the boys when they turned like four, I think is what it was. And so the first chore that the four-year-old had was just wiping the table off yeah. with, with a sponge because that's super easy. And and actually our twins, who are three, are now responsible for sweeping, which doesn't always happen. But <laughs> but But when the older boys were in the rotation of sweeping, everybody hated sweeping. That was like the worst chore. Yeah. And they would do anything to get out of it. You know, they would do another person's chore so that, you know, they could they could say, Oh, but you can do mine, you know, and it's sweeping. But what we, what I remember you telling one of them one time when I think it was Asa, when he was complaining about sweeping, you said something like, you know, when you get older, this is, it's really going to help out the people you live with, whether that's roommates or a wife or, you know, someone, someone else who's in your home if you know how to sweep and what we're doing now is preparing you for your future. Yeah. And I think that whenever we approach things like that, even, even if they, because honestly, when kids are doing chores, it takes so much more time because you have to go back and, and do it because they're not always efficient. You know, I mean, they think wiping the table and, and we talked to him about that too, about what does wiping the table look like? It looks like there is no, there are no sticky places on the table and you know, the crumbs are wiped into your hand and thrown into the trash and all of that. But you know, kids are kind of, yeah, they're, they're bad at doing things. They are. <laughs> we were, we were all bad at doing things at one time. In That's our right. Mm-hmm. I'm still really bad at putting away my own clothes. I'm still really bad at sweeping because I hate it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so one of the things that you can do to prepare ahead of time is to make a list of the things that you would like the the skills that you would like to teach your children. And you want to think about it in terms of what's age appropriate. Mm-hmm, definitely. Match the the task to their skill level. But when you have in mind the what it is you want to teach them, then you can focus on that specific thing and take those one thing at a time. And you mentioned, you know, going behind them mm-hmm. and doing it over. And that's something that you shouldn't let surprise you. In fact, you should be willing to do and and expect Mm -hmm. to do it, especially in the beginning. Yes. And what I would pair with this, uh, when you have your list set time aside specifically for that task to purposefully work with them. Mm -hmm. Now there are times when you want to tell them, here's your task, go ahead and do it and, and just let them do it. But there, the, the times when you can actually s- sit with them and work with them on those tasks, whether it's a chore or putting on their clothes or making their bed, whatever it is, when, when you set purposeful time aside to practice with them, that trumps verbal instruction mm-hmm. because you're demonstrating it. It's tactile. You're showing them. So do you have this as it applies to things like homework and things like that? Were you going to get into any of that? It could be homework. There are different approaches to depending on the type of task. Mm -hmm. So when I think about independence, that means a great number of things. And specifically when you're talking about doing things that are like, like taking care of yourself, brushing your teeth, bathing, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things even to doing 
some chores. You can show them how to do it, and then sometimes they'll run into trouble, like with with homework, and you don't necessarily want to always help them through each problem. Right. Because one of the things that's really valuable is not just knowing how to do something, but knowing that when you don't know how to do something, you can figure it out and you can solve that problem. Mm -hmm. And kids, well, certain types of kids, like our oldest son hates to do homework. He's super, super smart, but he hates to do homework. And so he'll take the easy way out anytime. If he's stumped on a question, he'll ask the parents. And I think what we got really good at doing was just saying, well, let me help you figure it out. I'm not going to give you the answer, yeah. but I'm going to push you in the direction where you can realize you can figure it out. And I think that was really beneficial to him because now the teacher over the summer sent all of the math booklets booklets home and he actually does them for fun now. Yeah. So. And it wasn't just good luck, kid, you're on your own. Right. We found, we found creative ways to retell the problem in a way that might help him understand it from a different angle, but didn't solve the problem for him. Yeah. I think one example was when he was, he had to write definitions of spelling words or something and they were all like, uh, I can't even remember examples of them, but they were all things that had some kind of prefix in front of it, like anticlimax or something like that. Mm. And so we would, you know, we would help him to see what those prefixes were on a couple of them. And then he would catch on and realize that whatever the opposite was, like he knew the opposite definition. And then if you added this prefix, you could figure out what that actual word meant. And that's, that's super empowering for him because now he realizes that when he sees words like that, he can break down words and know just from the prefixes and suffixes and, you know, the root word, he can figure out what they mean. Yeah. Now, something Jaden would run into when he was working on his homework sometimes is he would get stuck and he would just kind of give up and say, I can't do this. Yeah. And the temptation is to come in and say, yes, you can, and and try to push them through that. But But what I started to realize is when our children hit that wall and they feel defeated, we we need to let them work through those feelings of defeat mm-hmm. and give them better language. And so instead of saying what we would do for Jaden is we would say, instead of saying, I can't mm-hmm. say, I'm still learning mm-hmm. or I haven't figured this out yet. Mm-hmm. And, and, and instead of trying to push them through and say, yes, you can and, and shove them through that wall help them to take a few steps back from the wall and feel like, okay, I'm bumping up against something and I just haven't figured out, figured it out yet. Yeah. And I think one of the, uh, one of the things that we tend to do as parents, I know I used to do this is telling them, well, come on, you can figure it out. It's easy, you know, as sort of an encouragement to them. But what that does to a child is when he hears, he or she hears that's easy and they know that it's hard for them is they they think, well, I'm just not equipped to figure this out then because it's not easy for me. Yeah. And so I had I had to change my language around that. Instead of saying, come on, you can do it. This is easy. I just 
you know, we, we use the language of you just haven't figured this out yet, but we're going to figure it out. It's so hard, but, but try to think about it this way. Think about something that you don't understand. It could be rocket science. It could be medical science. It could be anything outside of your own expertise. Yeah. Now, certainly if somebody puts a problem from that realm in front of you, you might be able to use some of the tools that you have to attempt to try to solve it. But there are so many things that you don't understand yet. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it hard. And that's how it is for our children. What seems really straightforward and simple to us, they often don't have not just the the ability or the knowledge to solve the problem, but any framework for what that problem is. It looks, it may even look like gibberish to them. Mm -hmm. And and they could have had a bad day or an overwhelming day or anything like that. You know, we never know. I mean, we, we, we can ask the questions to know, but sometimes our kids don't even have the vocabulary to tell us why it's difficult for them. Right. And so if, if we if we lessen that difficulty and make it seem like it should be easy, then what they hear internally is that they're not as smart as they should be or they're not as efficient as they should be. Yeah, so we we definitely want to avoid that as much as possible. And we we also want to encourage their hard work. Because what what seems easy for us, they may know how to do, but it is difficult. It takes a lot of mental energy and focus and concentration. And, and so it's, it's also, you know, there are things that you don't want to say or or phrases that you don't want to use. But I think that some things that you want to say are things like you're working very hard at that problem Mm -hmm. and, and just make observations about the effort that they're putting into it and help them understand that those are positive things. Having to work hard at, at solving a problem doesn't doesn't mean that you're not smart. It, it just makes you a hard worker. Right. And that's a good quality to have. Yeah. Yeah, I think we use words like perseverance and, wow, you really stuck to it, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. So, One of the things that we really try to do is to match their independence and responsibility with a certain level of freedom. Mhm. And and that's an important that's an important connection to make when when our children see that the more responsible they are the more choice they have the more freedom they have it it incentivizes that independence. And I want to be careful not to make independence the goal necessarily, mm-hmm. but I also I also want to acknowledge that it is the, the way that you know, life works when you're an adult is the more responsible you are, the the more disciplined you are, the more freedoms you get to experience in certain areas. Right. And so we want to, we want to mirror that in our child's experience so that they can make that connection. And that's something that they carry with them over into adulthood. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, when it comes to learning new skills and, and being able to do things for yourself, it comes down to being a contributor in whatever community you're living in. And so for our child living in the community of home, mm-hmm. when they are able to do something for themselves, 
you think about really early on how proud they feel when they figure out how to do something that that previously you used to have to help them do all the time. Putting shoes on is a big one for kids. Yeah. And in, in a sense, them being able to put their own shoes on is a contribution to the community in which they live. Mm-hmm. And it's important for them to see that that is a, that they're a contributor by doing those things. And that, that contribution is meaningful and helpful to the family. And so one of the, here's an example, because you tied your own shoes, I had time to pack a yummy snack for everyone. <laughs> and instead of putting the focus on trying to get them to be independent and do things, it's really more about this is, this is helpful for the community and it adds to everybody's experience. It adds to the, the value. And, and that's a great focus to have as opposed to just, oh, you, now you can do this thing so I don't have to do it anymore. It's really because you can do this thing, it frees me up to do other things that add value to our experience as a family. Yeah. Yep. All right. Now, now I will say this just on, on the end of this conversation about independence. The contribution is not a marker for their identity or worth in the family. And, and we want to make sure that we're not sending that message to our children. Our children are inherently valuable. Mm-hmm. They're worth a lot to the family. And, and what they do in the family isn't a marker of how valuable they are to the family. Right. But it's, it, it's really something that they're adding above and beyond the value that they already possess. Um, I also wanted to add, a, add on the independence that we kind of have to use trial and error with independence because I know a few times, well, our eight-year-old is a super just, I don't know, he, he talks well beyond his years and those kinds of things. And so when you're having a conversation with him, you can think, oh, he's ready for this kind of independence. And then when you give it to him, it backfires a little mm-hmm. because he's still only eight, you know? And so we've had to use a lot of trial and error to see what kind of independence works with the personality of the child. Yeah. In some ways, I almost think that our six-year-old is more capable of some of the independent things that we want to give our children than the eight-year-old is right now. Yeah. But it just, it depends on their development, growth and development as kids. Yeah. I I really like being able to discern the, that in your child, knowing what they're ready for and what they're not ready for and being okay with making a mistake every once in a while and, and giving them, and and this is kind of a good segue into our mistake talk before Mm -hmm. we get into it. I did want to bring in, there's some great comments from Brooks in the chat just now. He says, I wish someone told me this, Hey, that art is looking good. You have a lot of natural talent. You're well on your way to becoming great. If you put in the work and learning to become great. And there's some, when it comes to teaching independence, our, our children developing and, and gaining new skills, there's this language that we've used in the past where we'll say, oh, great job. Mm-hmm, yeah. And, Bef- before we knew the proper way to praise. Yeah. And, and I think Brooks said earlier that 
somebody would say, oh, you're, you're really smart. And we actually did that with our firstborn too. Yeah. And, and that can actually oddly be destructive. Yeah. Because you're asserting your perspective, your ideas about who that person is and what they're worth. Mm -hmm. And you're, and you're attaching that perspective to a specific thing that they're doing. Yeah. Or, or something they've done. So the thing that, that I always go back to is, you know, I was told all my life that I was really smart. And whenever I came up on things that I felt like I couldn't do or I couldn't learn, I just chose not to. I chose not to pursue those things because I was smart. And smart people, you know, it comes naturally to smart people. Yeah. And so that's what children internalize is that if something feels hard and they're smart, then they can't show people that they don't know how to do this because they need to, they need to remain smart in the minds of people. Yeah. And it, it, it almost just becomes this thing where you, you have this need for people to know that you're smart and that you know how to do everything. And, you know, I'm still dealing with all that. Yeah. There's, I think there's a lot of stuff that comes along with it. I think I'm dealing with some of that too. Sorry. <laughs> right. We'll, we'll get into uh, some therapy and we'll work it out. <laughs> there were some questions regarding independence that I wanted to bring in. Okay. This one was from Sharla and she asks, what suggestions do you have for when you know they need more independence or responsibility in an area, but they're not willing to take it on? Hmm. That's a good question. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking about our oldest and there are several things that he is capable of doing for himself. And every once in a while, he just feels lazy or for whatever reason, doesn't want to do those things for himself. Yeah. And this is maybe kind of a, a light example, but I want to use it when we're sitting at the dinner table and he wants a cup of milk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't, I don't do this to be mean, but he'll, he'll say, daddy, can you get me a cup of milk? And I'm in the middle of doing something or I'm either eating or helping somebody else get their food. And I'll say, well, Jaden, you can get your own milk. Mm -hmm. And I'll just remind him. And so there's a natural consequence there. If he doesn't do the thing for himself, he doesn't get the milk. Right. And so the question is the, the ball's back in his court. The question is, am I okay with the consequence of not having any milk mm -hmm. if I, if I don't want to do it myself or do I want the milk enough that I'm willing to push through this discomfort that I feel yeah. and go ahead and pour myself a cup. And sometimes because he's smart, he will ask his six year old brother who is extremely kind <laughs> to go get him milk and it'll work. But And I, and I got to say that's resourceful. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And one of these days that will backfire on him mm -hmm. and he'll learn a lesson. So, so there's another question she asked because I, that was, I, I guess the way that I would answer that first question is where there are natural consequences, you let those natural consequences play out. Yeah. And that I feel is the most effective way of helping ch children who are hesitant to take on those responsibilities for themselves to work through their discomfort or their laziness, whatever it is yeah. that's keeping them from 
doing those things. Okay. So I want to say something real quick here, because this is something that I struggled with this last school year. The oldest also doesn't always want to do homework. Surprise, surprise. And so you were on duty in the afternoons and where I might've like scheduled out a time every single day that was the same time that he would do the homework because I'm a little OCD like that. You kind of were just go with the flow, you know, some, some mornings he would wake up and he hadn't done his homework. And what we tried to do was because, you know, he's eight years old, he's going into third grade. This is something he can take on as a responsibility is before you continue, I'm going to go ahead and ask Charlotte's other question because it's exactly, Oh really? Yeah. It has exactly to do with what we're talking about. She says, what do you do when natural consequences still don't get them to remember their new responsibilities? Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I, I struggled with this a lot because academics are something that are important to me and whether or not he did his homework was affecting his academics and an eight-year-old doesn't really care about that. You know, like they don't, they don't care what kind of grades they get. They don't care that they're going to get a zero for that homework that didn't get turned in. Um, But I do as a parent. And this is the, this is getting into uh, some of the mistake conversation too, because this is a hard one for me. He doesn't understand the ramifications of right of the decisions that he's making when it comes to his homework. If he were to be held back a grade because he didn't do his homework for the entire year, yeah, that doesn't that doesn't really register to him. He doesn't understand the the consequences, right? And so where where our children don't understand or care about the consequences, it's appropriate to bring in some other form of right, consequence exactly. that they and that's can what I was, understand. That's what I was going to get to is that we, we had to link another consequence beyond what the natural consequence was. And the trick to doing that is letting him know, Hey, this is the consequence if you don't get your homework done. And you've got to be really careful because if you in fulfilling that consequence, if you express any frustration or emotion oh, gosh. outwardly, your your child will connect that consequence with your feelings instead of with their actions. Mm-hmm. It's and it's such a hard thing to do, but it it really has to be kind of a, a it really has to be a matter of fact thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you didn't do your homework. Ah, that, that's too bad because this is the consequence. Yeah, and now you don't get to whatever. Yeah, so. so so hard to it because you care so much about your child. It's hard mm-hmm. not to let that affect you emotionally and, and want to express that. But Well, and also he's he's the type of kid who will, you know, negotiate. He's been a negotiator since he was tiny, like two. Yeah. And so he'll say, well, I can do it in the morning. I have enough time. It's really easy. And yeah, it is. He would have enough time. He would be able to do it. But there's a principle of not waiting to the last minute that we want to teach him also. And there, and, so, and there can be some other natural consequences there. Okay, so he, so he's going to do it in the morning. Well, the natural consequence is we have to wake you up 15 minutes earlier. Right. So you, you lose 15 minutes of sleep. Or it could be he loses his free time in the morning that he normally would have used to write or draw or read. Yeah, yeah. So there are some, and even even with the extra consequence, it could be a natural one too when you frame it as, you can do this after you do your homework. 
And so the natural consequence there is if I don't do my homework, then I don't get to do this. Yeah. So. Okay. So since we're, uh, I'm wondering if I want to bring in one more question around independence. Yeah. I really like this one from Aaron. He asks, are any of your children on the extreme ends of the independence spectrum too independent or too dependent? And how would you suggest handling that? Well, I think we definitely have some extreme independent ones. The oldest would be one of those, except his independence comes when, you know, it's what he wants to do. <laughs> yeah. But if it's, if it's homework, then yeah, he's, but as far as the dependent side, I think our six-year-old, he just finished kindergarten this year and I had noticed something about him early and, and I had told the teacher or I, I warned her in an email. I said, you know, he's very, he seems pretty dependent on instruction. So when he's doing, when he's doing some kind of worksheet or something, he wants to know before he finishes the worksheet, uh, when he's like on number one, he wants to know, am I doing this right? Yeah. And he would, he would ask that over and over, uh, every time he answered a question and obviously a teacher in a classroom of 25 students can't stand over his shoulder and tell him every single question that he's done it right. And I'm not sure where the, where that came from. But one thing that we had to work through was getting him comfortable and confident in the answers that he was giving on his sheets and the the things that he was learning. And even when I was teaching him to read, he would, he would read a word and it wouldn't be the normal way you would read a word like ran he would do it like ran like it was a question every time. Yeah. And so we had to work really meticulously to help him feel confident in his learning and in the answers that he provided and those kinds of things. And it was, it was hard, but I noticed a difference toward the end of the year. Yeah. And some of the things that I did is whenever he would ask those questions, I would ask him a question back and I would say, well, do you think it's right? And why do you think it's right? And he would explain to me and I would say, well, then, okay. You know, because he just explained his thought process and that thought process was correct. And I wanted him to know that it was. Yeah. I really, I really like that method of, of asking instead of, instead of just saying, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Asking them to self-confirm. Right. And going back to the, the language thing, when our children are having a difficult time feeling confident in their own ability to do things, it's really a lack of trust in themselves. They definitely trust their parents to take care of certain things for them, but, it, but they lack trust in themselves. And what, what can happen when you say, oh, good job, it, it can undermine their ability to self-confirm. And so instead of saying good job, you can observe what they did for themselves mm -hmm. and say, oh, you tied your shoe. And, and what I found when I did that with our, with our second oldest, Asa, mm -hmm. is he would, he would look down at his shoe and he would look up and smile and he'd say, yeah, I did. Yeah. And, and, and so then he would self-confirm instead of hearing from me, oh, I, I don't know whether or not I did this right. And so I'm going to, I'm going to ask and hopefully hear something like good job. Mm -hmm. you know, and, yeah. and I want, I really want for that to come from him and the confidence that he develops through those kind of interactions will spill over into other things as he, as he grows. 
Yeah. We need to do an episode on praise. Mm -hmm. All right. So now we're going to get into mistakes. Mm. And this is one that I feel so strongly about because of my own personal relationship with mistakes. Mm -hmm. The way that I grew up and the, and the relationship that I have with making mistakes, the relationship that I have with failure has been very unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mine too. And I think this was Brooks in the chat said that he would be afraid to make mis uh, to make choices out of fear of making mistakes. Mm -hmm. That's that describes me in, in my adult life up until maybe like two or three years ago, really just feeling so hesitant to make any choice mm -hmm. out of, out of the fear that it would fail. Mm -hmm. And so I, I really want to start this out by talking about mistakes as a positive thing. Mm -hmm. We want our kids to make mistakes. We want our kids to fail because the more experience they have with that, the, the better relationship they can develop with, with failure. Mm -hmm. And, and when you have a good relationship with failure, failure, you see it through the right lens, it becomes something useful mm -hmm. instead of something to fear. And then when it comes to making choices, it's not about, oh, is this choice going to lead to failure or success? It's about, I'm going to make this choice and I'm going to learn something from it. Whether it succeeds or fails, I'm going to learn something from it. So childhood is the optimal time for making mistakes. Yep. Because they live in the protection of the family. The consequences from the mistakes that, from most of the mistakes the children make can be uncomfortable and sometimes even painful, but they're not dire. Right. I will say that when we can foresee that a consequence could bring great physical harm or death. Yeah, I was going to say, you obviously right. shouldn't let your children rollerblade in the street when, or on the highway. <laughs> yeah, don't let your kids rollerblade on the highway. That's a tragic mistake. Let's avoid the tragic mistakes. <laughs> But the other ones, like failing to turn in a homework assignment or not doing something that, you know, your teacher said. And I'll also, also say that when they can understand the consequences, when they're capable of understanding the consequences. And so it may, it may be appropriate for our eight-year-old who doesn't fully understand the consequences of consistently not turning in his homework, having to be held back a grade the, you know, the, that big failure, mm -hmm. but he can understand the difference between a high grade and a low grade and what that does to his overall grade. And, and so we can allow certain mistakes to be made if we feel like it can be a teaching opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think failure can be our greatest teacher for sure. Our greatest teacher. Yeah. If if we can if we can anticipate and and often as parents if we're paying attention, we can see when our child is making choices or doing things that are going to lead them to failure. Mm -hmm. If we can anticipate that, we can allow that to happen without it causing a great deal of of pain or destruction, and then we can come alongside our children 
after the fact and help them learn the lesson that they need to learn from it in order to make better choices in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I wonder about this one, this, uh, this idea. I'm hesitant because I don't want it to come across the wrong way, but I have, I have a note here that says create scenarios where they can fail. And maybe, maybe what I mean is more facilitate scenarios where they can fail. If you don't see failure as a bad thing, but it really is a learning opportunity, then it's, it's a good thing to allow your child to experience that because you're going to be there for them, because you're going to help them learn the lessons and teach them what it looks like to learn from their failures instead of be defined by them. Mm -hmm. I think uh, we didn't create this failure, but was it last year? Oh my gosh. The years keep running together. When our oldest was in second grade, which was last, last year, um, he was having a lot of difficulty We've talked about this on the show before, controlling his emotions and doing that in a public place like school yeah, where he was constantly overwhelmed and things like that. And they actually, for a couple of days, put him in ISS because he had just lost control of his emotions. And it was, oh my gosh, it was so hard to watch him go through that as a parent. Because he he didn't really understand it as an eight year old he he didn't understand because people had taken what he had done in a different way than he had intended it, and it was really hard for him to understand all of that um and it was really hard for us as parents to watch him go through that and that was just such a hard, hard time for us. I mean, I just remember crying so much during that season, yeah, but now, when I look back at that. I can see all of the conversations that we had around it about how the things that we were able to teach him about emotions and how to practice expressing his emotions in healthy ways. And the lesson that we were able to bring home for him, that is we are more than what we do was just, I don't, I just, I feel like that can't be underestimated. And so as we were going through that, you know, as parents, or I'm speaking for myself here, I kind of felt a little bit like a failure as a parent because, you know, we had this whole house full of children and here was the first one going off to school, having trouble in school. Yeah. And it's really easy as parents to feel like we are failing when our kid is failing in, in those really necessary ways. And so I, I don't know this, I don't know who this is for or, <laughs> but I, I just wanted to say that I am thankful for that time because I feel like it, it helped him come into a deeper understanding of who he was and how he was loved even in that time. Yeah. The, the most important role that we get to play with our children as they experience failure is not it's not helping them recover. It's not preventing them from getting hurt. It's, it's not protecting them or shielding them from experiencing mistakes. It's helping them understand that their identity is not attached to their mistakes. It's not attached to their failures, that they, they are who they are, not because of the things that they do and, and that who they are. And you, you, 
you said this to me the other day, Mm -hmm. who they are can determine what choices they make, but the choices they make do not define who they are. Mm -hmm. The, the more our children learn this, well, and, and for us feeling like when our children are experiencing failure, that that is a failure on us as well. That is, that's a lack of understanding of our true identity. Mm-hmm. of our true value. The more our children understand who they really are in spite of their failures, the the easier it's going to be for them to work through failures and to have the right kind of relationship with failure. Yeah. And during that time, I know the first thing that I wanted to do was to save him from it, you know, to save him from all of the consequences of his rash actions. And I wanted to pull him out of school. I wanted to homeschool. I wanted to protect him in this safe realm of home. And I had to, I mean, it took a while. It took a few days for me to be like, you know what? He's going to get through this and we're going to get through it and we're going to be stronger for it. And I think we are. I think he is. You know, we've talked before about how the emotional distress of being in that situation uh, for for Jaden of, of being in that situation day in and day out, mm-hmm. there there may be some need for intervention, or there may be some need for us to come in and help shape that environment. Oh, absolutely, and we did that, but we didn't pull him out of it completely. We didn't pull it out of pull him out of it completely, and our efforts are better spent on reinforcing his identity, mm-hmm. reinforcing the, the value of who he is, and. And just driving that message home as much as possible. It's better spent on that versus trying to fix or shape the situation so that they don't experience that hurt. Yeah. Because the, the confidence in who you are is, is what helps you to be resilient when you go through those kind of situations in life. So here's the last thing I'll say about mistakes. And, and that's that we, this, this comes back to, the language that we use to talk about mistakes. Never say, I told you so. (laughs) And maybe you don't say, I told you so, but you probably say things like it. Well, here's a, here's kind of a funny example. Okay. The, uh, one of the twins are in booster seats when they sit down at our table and they don't always buckle themselves because they just don't like to be buckled. And (laughs) one of them, enjoys standing up at the table and it's one of those things where I want to have a recorder that just says over and over, sit on your bottom, sit on your bottom, sit on your bottom. Yeah. And I, I probably said it about six times during dinner. And then I, uh, when dinner was over, I was going to the sink to wash dishes and he stood up again. Well, this time he lost his balance and fell and kind of, he did like the perfect Pilates what is it called? A butterfly type exercise where he was like smashed between two chairs and his yeah. feet and head were pointed toward the ceiling and his booty was po- pointed toward the floor. It was quite the pose. It was, it was pretty amazing. Um, and my first reaction was, well, if you had done what I had told you, that wouldn't have happened, which is a form of, I told you so. That's, yeah. that's not the correct response. <laughs> This phrase undermines their trust in themselves to not not just make decisions, but foresee 
the outcome of those decisions. They, when, when you say, I told you so, or I, I knew that was going to happen, you're taking the power away from them to make those distinctions for themselves. Too many are afraid of making decisions because they, they don't trust themselves. They don't, they don't know how to anticipate outcomes. Mm-hmm. So even, even when, when failure could be catastrophic, they don't know how to foresee that because they, they were never given the room to make those determinations for themselves, to, to make those connections. Yeah. When, we, when we say something like that, we take that away from them. So a better thing to do in that situation for me would have been one to console him for, you know, the scary, (laughs) scary fall to comfort him for that scary fall. And then two, ask the question, why do you think this happened and help him to internalize that himself? Yeah. And and we were talking about this earlier, how sometimes the children have an internal dialogue about what happened and, and they, they internalize the lesson. It's good for us as parents to open up the lines of communication and, and talk about what happened, not so that we can make sure that they got the lesson, mm-hmm. but just so that they know that we're here for them. We, we were interested in, in what their experience was, what they went through and talking through that with them. And so I, I really like that asking asking them what happened, and letting them tell re- the story. Yeah, letting them yeah. tell the story. So, the, and they depending on their age. So our three year olds might say, "I fell down," and you can ask it, questions. Yeah, you to, can ask yeah. questions. Oh, why so did you fall of, down? Instead of making statements, yeah, you fell down because you stood up on your chair mm-hmm, instead of sitting yeah. on your booty, like I told you. <laughs> Um, ask them questions and let them arrive at their own conclusions. Yeah. That's way more powerful than you trying to give them those conclusions. And one of the big questions we use with the older boys too is, uh, what could you have done differently to have a different result? You That's know? right. But until they understand what caused. Right. And well, until they can tell the story from start to finish of what happened, they're not ready to come up with some alternative narrative. Yeah. And it it also takes some time to develop that because I know this last year we did it frequently for our, uh, our eight year old because he would get on the playground and he would play games with his friends and inevitably one would get mad about something and it would break up the, you know, the flow of play and all that. And so we would, he would come home and he would be bummed about well, this friend said he didn't want to be my friend anymore or something, or this friend said he didn't want to be this boy's friend anymore. And it's, you know, all the playground politics. And so we would walk through that with him and try to help him come to a conclusion of, well, what could you have done differently that might've resolved those conflicts or, you know, ended in a more peaceful, peaceful way. And that's pretty, that's powerful. For children, because not only do they see an alternative way, but they begin to internalize that and they're able to do it the next time or they, they at least have the skills and they have the know-how to do it next time. It might take a few times (laughs) yeah, (laughs) because kids are really bad at doing what they do. I mean, if we're being honest, (laughs) 
it might take a lifetime because <laughs> I'm still learning. Here's, so here's the, I mean, the biggest thing that we need to understand about mistakes and failure is, is that they're not bad things. They're, they're not things to be avoided. When you make a mistake, when you fail, it provides useful information that, that if you have been equipped with the skills of working through your failures, telling the story, and then, and then telling another story of how it could have gone under different circumstances with different choices, you equip yourself with information to do better in the future. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then you, and, and that's the kind of value that you get out of failure. Well, how, how can we fail sooner? How can we, how can we make more mistakes? How can we take more risks? Mm-hmm. And not in a way that's, not in a way that is destructive or what's the word I'm looking for? That isn't thoughtful or, or take into account the information that you already have. But, but in a way that, that doesn't have you operating out of fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People in the chat room are trying to help me out. We were, <laughs> we were having this conversation earlier, uh, or maybe it was yesterday, about how bad you and I are about finishing each other's sentences. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And you usually like are going in a complete different direction. <laughs> now, sometimes, sometimes we're really in sync. Yeah. But sometime last night you were doing it and it was totally what I wasn't trying to say. <laughs> but it was funny because I think I brought up the conversation and I said something like, you know, we're really bad about trying to, or we're, we're really bad about finishing. And then you interjected and said each other's sentences. Yeah. It was something like that. Yeah. It was funny. It's because we're so used to talking with kids around that we get to the mid sentence and our brain's not ready to spit it out. Yet. <laughs> yeah. And time is money. So if you can't, if you can't get it out, like I'm going to finish your sentence so that I can move on. Yeah, exactly. The, um, the there, people, Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say there was another question about, um, I think, was there one more question that you had about when, if it's healthier to let children make these mistakes or show them the mistake that they made or, or figure out the mistake on their own or versus. Yeah. I'll go them. ahead and bring it in. I, f- I feel like we answered this question, oh, okay. but we can, we can go ahead and bring it in and, and just re restate it. Ryan asks, is it better to most of the time tell your child they made a mistake or most of the time, let them realize it on their own. I'd assume self-realized mistakes allow the lesson to sink in deeper but it may not occur to them all the time that they made a mistake. And so I would take this, I would take this back to an approach where we're not pointing out the mistake, but if we, either way, whether, whether they come out and they, they talk openly about the situation and, and they articulate the mistake that they made or they internalize it and they work through it on their own, or maybe even, you know, we sense that they haven't realized their mistake. Um, in any case, we as the parents open up that line of communication and mm-hmm. we allow them to tell us the story of what happened. So either, either way we're helping them, we're, we're facilitating conversation where they come to realize for themselves what, 
consequences came from, good or bad, came from the choices they made. Yeah. And I I did want to say one more thing here about, you know, helping them realize their mistakes. Sometimes the question that we ask, why do you think this happened or what do you think happened to make this, you know, situation as bad as it is? Sometimes the eight-year-old gets lazy and he's just like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, you can be... And so you're going to come up against that kind of resistance. You can be creative about how you root out that information. Yeah. You you want your you want your child to think critically about their choices and and to come to their own conclusions. But sometimes they do need some guided mm-hmm. conversation. You think about think about how reporters ask leading questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm really good at that. Also, it's just, you know, kids they don't enjoy the hard work of figuring that out. And so getting them in the habit of it is going to take some work on our parts. So I just, I wanted to throw that out there because I don't want people to think that we have these amazingly articulate kids who always talk about their problems and things like that. Cause it's not true. That's right. <laughs> well, this was a good topic. Mm-hmm. There was just so much to talk about with both of these things and there's yeah. so much more, but we have, we have a couple of other, topics that are coming up that cover that that have some overlap with these topics that are going to be really good. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to next week's we're talking about dealing with outside influences and preserving your child's values. Hmm. That's going to be a short show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rachel, where can people go to find us online? In the boat with Ben.com. That's right. Like I said, you can get in touch with us there. You can also see a listing of our episodes, read full show notes. But I also put in a section of just the highlights of each episode so that you can get some quick value right away. You can also leave a review for us on iTunes at InTheBoatWithBen.com slash iTunes. What I would love for you to do is to check out SeanWest.com slash community. One of the things that really makes this show not just have better, more thorough information, but but just really enriches the conversation that we have. It adds life to this show is the community. It's the people who are listening live in the chat who think the think the same way that we do, but come from their own personal experience and ask questions from different angles. And it's it's just really fantastic. And that is happening all the time. So you definitely owe it to yourself to go to seanwest.com slash community. Check that out. That's how this show is even possible. So if you want to help us out, that's a great way to do it. If you want to find Rachel, she is at racheltolson.com. You can follow her on Twitter at Rachel Tolson. I am at intheboatwithben.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Tolson. Thank you guys for listening today. Yeah, thanks. And we'll see you next time.
you know, Rachel, you made a comment in here in the chat room that said Ben likes to talk. And, uh, and I agree with that. Yeah. But it reminded me of some clarification that I wanted to bring to the whole lines of communication being open and, and helping our children work through. <laughs> so, so you, you also have to take into account your child's personality mm-hmm. and some people process internally. I have no idea how that works, but, but they, they don't talk. They don't sit down and type anything out. They're silent. And all of the thinking is happening inside their heads. I have no idea. That's me. I have no idea how that works, but some people do that. Mm -hmm. And some people like myself have to think out loud a lot. In fact, I did this before the show. I called up our very own Aaron Dowd, who had a great question in the chat. I'm saving it. I'm saving that question for next week because it's so pertinent to the, the next topic. But, but I was trying to type out my answer to him in the chat and I just couldn't. And I, and I said, I need to call you because I had to think out loud. And so it just, it reminded me that knowing, understanding how our children process, whether they do process internally or they process out loud will also give us some insight as to how to approach that conversation. So it may be that we need to give them the time necessary in order to process it internally so that they are even capable of uh, articulating and, and, and telling the story of what happened. Yeah. And for some children, you, you want to give them space. You, you want to jump into the ring right away and, and allow them to think out loud and try to work through those thoughts and those emotions verbally. Yep. I agree. Yeah. But yeah. When I, when I think out loud, I tend to talk a lot. It's true. Mm-hmm. What you just said about children works in marriage too, by the way. Wait, <laughs> wait. So do you mean, Cause I, I mean, you just said that you think inside your head. Mm-hmm, I do. So does that mean when I have something that I want to talk about because I'm trying to get my thoughts out, I should let you be quiet? Yeah. Do I need to be quiet? No. A lot of times when you're talking to me and you're processing what you're saying as you're talking, Mm-hmm. I'm processing it all, but you sometimes look for a response Yeah, and I'm not ready to give a response yet because I'm still thinking about it in my head because I'm not an out loud thinker. That seems unfair. Like you've got this hidden world where you get to work through your thoughts. Yeah, I kind of do. But that's how some people are wired. That's okay. I like being an out loud thinker. Mm-hmm. I think it actually balances our parenting out really well though, because Whenever something happens, I need the space to be able to think it through. Mm -hmm. And you kind of jump right in with telling the story and all of that kind of stuff. And I feel like that's valuable because it it lets our kids know they're not off the hook. Because with me, it might seem like they're off the hook when really I'm, you know, processing through what I want to say and how I want to address this. And (laughs) yeah, sometimes I get myself into trouble, though, because I haven't I haven't 
arrived at a good conclusion or a good stance yeah before i i go into my correction or whatever it is and it would be better for me to take some space maybe go into another room and pretend that i'm talking to them yeah there you go come to my conclusions <laughs> and then come out and talk to them for real yeah that might help although they'd probably think you were a little crazy what is dad's <laughs> doing that thing again he goes he's into talking the, to himself and he's yelling at the wall <laughs> now come to think of it i i feel like i remember my dad doing that. Really? Maybe. Oh, wow. I remember I remember thinking that was a little bit crazy. Yeah. <laughs> now I know. <laughs>